Hello everybody, welcome to the NC Podcast. My name is Natasha Collins and I am the host and founder of NC Real Estate, which includes its members club for landlords and property investors to come and build profitable property portfolios that completely align with their goals. Now, I know we are all in absolute uproar at the moment and things might seem overwhelming, scary, just absolutely chaotic. I've been putting together a working paper which I've been updating on the regular about what's going on for property investors and how you can put in place a strategy and work with your tenants to survive this frustrating, frustrating outbreak that we all are just, we have no idea what's going to happen, but we can mitigate against some of the worst stuff that's going on. So I'm going to put the link below, but it's www.ncrealestatemembersclub.com forward slash COVID-19. It's free. I'm not asking for your email address or anything, but go over there, click the link, and you'll see the PDF pop up. You'll see that the versions keep changing. So if you've downloaded it once um, and there's more updates you want to know about, please just go back and download the next one um, because we're on about version four. Uh, it's updating so regularly so come back download it there's more information it's to help you through this time I know it's really uncertain we don't quite know how it's going to pan out but we can certainly put in place things to mitigate our risk so that we can continue on because one of the big messages that I want to get across here is that property investment is long term we're not doing this for the short term so we are going to survive whatever happens so please again I'll put the link below it's the working paper click on the link go and see it download the pdf keep going back downloading it as there's updates so that's a free resource for you Anyway, let's get on with today's podcast. Today, I'm so excited. I've got Tej. Hi, Tej. Greetings, <laughs> greetings. Hello. From the awesome podcast, Tej Talks. If none of you have heard of this before, please. He's got it on his t-shirt. For those of you who are just listening on the podcast, I'm going to put the link to Tej's podcast below. Go and listen to that as well. Um, He's a property investor, the host of the Knightsbridge PPM, which I'm sure a lot of you already know because a lot of people have been in contact with me and said that they go, um, and a personal branding expert. Ted has purchased 14 houses in eight months, which is very good going, raised £538,000 of investment finance, and his podcast has 265,000 listens in 90 plus countries after 15 months. Amazing. Hi. Thank you. Hi. I think... I think it's 15 houses now because I I bought one on Thursday so it may have changed but yeah about that amount it's very stressful is all is what I'll say to start this off (laughs) why is it stressful what's going on I think uh someone said to me Ted you know you're buying all these houses so does that mean that you get all the lessons and mistakes and challenges like at once and a lot quicker and I was like yeah it actually does. And I don't know why I'm surprised at that. I'm like, why is it all happening at once? But I think dealing with so many houses, so many refurbs, so many conveyances, so many, and then all the little details within each little thing, within each little thing, when they're, you know, like 150 miles away from home, is inherently quite stressful, especially if you're managing. I think now I've got four or five refurbs on at once, and I'm going to have two or three more in the next few weeks again not like i'm not i don't live where i invest so yeah where do you live where, where are you investing 
So I live in West London at Heathrow Airport and then I'm investing in South Wales. So anywhere from like 150 miles from home up to like about 180 in the furthest place and then up and down. So it's quite a it's quite a wide range within South Wales I invest, but it's easily two and a half hours from home. Ooh, are you driving or are you getting the train? I'm driving because when I get there to get in between all the towns and everything, using their public transport would just be total chaos. And it rains a lot. So I, I'm kind <laughs> of like, I have to get the car. And I carry stuff like boilers that I've ordered cheap in bulk. And, you know, I'm a bit like a wannabe builder. My car's full of crap. So I kind of carry stuff as well. So I won't work. I, I don't know how you do that. We we have completely different methods of how we think about these things. And we will get onto that in a little bit. I think the very yeah. first thing we have to talk about um, is... It's not even the elephant in the room. We need to talk about our COVID-19 strategies. Yes. Uh, so I think, I think the, I guess I'll start a bigger picture for me. The bigger picture for me is, for me, property is a 10, 15, 30, 50, 60 year strategy for me. And I'm mainly in it for capital appreciation. So whilst, you know, on the path of, generally prices always going up and things going up there's going to be wobbles there's going to be crashes there's going to be dips for me i'm not i'm not overly bothered you know we got over the 08 crash we got over the one before that and the one before i know this is like unprecedented and it's like totally brand new and and for me bigger picture what that means is we don't really have any clue we can the daily mail can say oh, which is going to crash the guardian can have 10 educated people talking about you know blah 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 bigger picture i kind of i'm just like look in the long run, they're going to either be the same or go up slightly, depending on where you invest. So on, on a bigger picture, I'm not sort of fussed. I'm not like, what does the outlook hold? The only thing I'm concerned about is like revaluations on house prices. You know, I'm like, should I be doing it ASAP? Should I be waiting? But I still, I just don't know. I think day to day and what you mentioned before about your your PDF, your ebook that you have and why it, why it's changing so much is because you know yes we've got mortgage rate relief for buy to lets and residential tenants potentially have rent uh deferment if not rent holiday which some of them seem to think it is uh if they can't work so i think i think there's a few things that the government are doing which are going to help us and support us through it i think the thing that's tricky which may be getting released as we're recording this is what they're doing for self-employed people like what mm -hmm. they're actually doing because it's whole 80 percent thing or is it universal credit? I think if you have cash reserves, which I think you should always keep, like I'm growing aggressively, you know, portfolio has gone from zero to 1.3 million in, in eight months, mm -hmm. but I still have a cash reserve that I will not touch. I don't care. Best deal ever. I've got no investors. I'll just be like, <sighs> I just won't touch it. And it, it stays at a certain level. So I'm kind of protected in these periods, but I have the the i'm fortunate that this can happen but i think the main lesson is always have cash reserves communicate with tenants with mortgage lenders and also communicate with the community like what are you doing about it Natasha? what are you doing about it what is she or he doing about it mm -hmm. to protect ourselves but yeah i think the main thing is it's uncertain and it's very very uncertain it changes every day so i don't know much to do about nothing <laughs> <laughs> that's so optimistic <laughs> honest and say that I have also I've been looking at it and the first before they have been dripping this out on a 
daily basis. They would, they'd got to a stage last week where I just sat, my head in my hands, I'm like, oh my God, anybody who's got no money in the bank and is a landlord or property investor is about to be screwed. And then, <laughs> and then I thought, okay, take a step back, think about it a bit more, a bit calmly. So we have to get through three months. If you haven't got any cash reserves and your tenants stop paying rent, and again, it's a rent holiday, it's not a rent-free period, they have to pay that back at the end of the three months. My biggest tip of advice for all landlords and property investors is speak to your tenants and get them paying something. The invest the uh, government are putting so much money into helping people stay afloat that they shouldn't be not paying us because then they get in three months of arrears and it's so hard to get mm. tenants to pay back up that much. The less that they owe at the end of the three month period, the easier it is for everybody. Yeah. And so when we start re reframing that and thinking, actually, how can we help our tenants? Can we actually give them information which helps them go and get this money so that we can continue with our cash flow? You know, mm. you know, if we can do that, you know, giving them the details for how you phone the NHS helpline, how you get your sick notes so that you can still get money in. So then the tenants are getting money so they can still pay you. These are things that we have to be doing right now rather than running away and hiding. <laughs> And yeah. thinking, oh my God, we've got no money coming in. And I know from experience, well, I'm having it happen now. I've got one Airbnb, just one. And my bookings yep. are drying up. <laughs> and I was looking at that and I was thinking, oh my gosh, eventually that will pick back up or I can change strategy. But for the short term, it is what it is and then you have to start cash flow forecasting and seeing where money's coming from again we can't run and hide because if this is long term you can't give up yeah and i think I, i'm the same i have one essay that i own but it's not on a mortgage yet it's still on a bridge so i'm paying a you know not a lot but a, a fair amount every month i've just kind of accepted for the next three months you know i'm sure it'd be, it might be better than that and we're trying every tactic to get it full. I'm just like, that's lost money. But actually, bridges, they don't have to give these mortgage, these these sort of payment holidays. I've already kind of got the cogs you know, in order and I've said, hey, by the way, if I had to do this, what's the sitch? So I'm basically going to call them tomorrow and say, look, the SA has fallen off a cliff. As you can understand, can we talk about a payment holiday? Because it'll just, yes, it'll cost more. There'll be a bit more interest on it, but the cash flow will be sorted and it's communication like that right not being scared to ask like big old bridger like just just communicate right yeah because that's the only way you keep this going and that's mm. other and also reach out to people that you know who are going through similar situations ask what they're doing don't be afraid in this situation to ask for help because mm. it supports the whole industry if we all keep going the minute yep. you start defaulting your mortgages because you've not put your hand up and said, please, can I have some help? <laughs> That's when we're all screwed. Yeah, big time credit. Go, yeah, don't want to do that. We do not want to be doing that um, at all. So how, have you, how are you feeling about your developments? So I don't do any development. I don't do any oh, building from land. No, all kind okay. of biter lets. So, I mean, there's, there's quite a few sort of mid-refurb or on the market, which is a problem because viewings have tanked um yes there's video viewings blah 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 but you know the activity level has dropped significantly so much so that you know again i'm facing a month or two or whatever of 
empty houses because nobody wants to leave the house, especially as things get tighter and tighter and we face what seems like an imminent and maybe necessary lockdown. Uh, the ones that are in refurb, the builders, because there's one or two on site, they're following social distancing. They're taking hand sanitizer with them. I've said to them, look, lads, if you want to stay at home, like, you know, do, like, what do you want to do? I'm not going to tell you. And they said, mate, like, we love doing this. We're not idiots in the park rubbing up on each other. <laughs> like, you know, we're two minutes from, I mean, we're two, we're two meters at least from each other. We're not, you know, and they're like, look, we're following the rules, uh, but we got a job to do and we got money to earn. Mm-hmm. We're going to keep on doing it. So until, but they're saying, Tej, builders, merchants are closing down. We need to order materials. So that's more cash up front for me. So it's, uh, I'm not worried just because of my attitude towards it. But of course, we have every reason to be worried. But therefore, I've kind of got things in place with the bridges. And I've said, look, what can we do about this? And my private investors, I've already messaged them and said, look, I'm happy to, I said, look, I'm happy to keep paying them because you still earn an income from it. However, if you want to do a, a holiday thing, let's talk about it. Uh, so yeah, I'm not overly concerned yet. However, literally by the end of the time we recorded this, it could change. So <laughs> yeah, we, do, we have no idea. Yeah, in a week we could be like rioting and and you know looting and it, who um, who knows. Yeah, but exactly. Yeah. And for those of you who are listening, we are recording this on the 23rd of March. So we only have knowledge up until today's date. Everything could yes. change in the next week. In which case, this will be a bit of fun to listen to. Yeah. <laughs> look, look at those look at those people back in the past. Oh, now we're living on Mars. Now we're like fighting for everything. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's definitely if the what if we can give one message, please don't everybody throw in the towel. It's yeah. not the time to do it. This is a a minor blip in a long term property investment strategy. Mm-hmm. So should we talk about your strategy? Um, go for it let's get into it what is your property investment strategy so mine is what a lot of people call small deals or foundational or the beginner strategy so it's buying buy to lets so below market value i think anywhere from i think on average uh, at least 40 percent below market value at least i think buying them on a bridge with an investor or buying them outright with an investor so it's the buy refurbish refinance do the refurbishment which sometimes because i get such a good deal i mean two of my projects like one of the refurbs is five grand but it's going to add about 30 grand's worth of value back to the property another one's seven grand that's going to add about 40 grand's worth of value back which sounds crazy but obviously if you buy cheap enough and actually to be totally blunt i don't even need to spend five or seven k like i could revalue them and they would be market but it's not my it's not my level of quality I want to put out there. So mm-hmm. buy a house here, refurbish it for that much, and then I get it revalued or refinanced up here. That mortgage comes through, pays off the investor, pays off the bridger, pays off everyone. I'm left with an asset that probably leaves in anywhere from zero to £5,000, or it pulls some out, mm-hmm. uh, and it will net 300 to 380 a month. I self-manage because they're buy-to-let, so there's there's not really any management and we've done the refer right there shouldn't be any management really mm-hmm. uh and you know i just do that i buy those i buy as many as i can i'm aiming for three a month this year although i'm sort of i'm not stopping but i'm just observing for the next like week or two uh i 
yeah, they're all two beds or three beds. They're all, you know, your standard, like terraced houses. There's nothing, there's nothing in particular special about them. And it mm-hmm. is foundational, but it's the most passive form of income because it's families for 10 years. You never hear from them. It's great. And they look after it. And so whilst it's sort of as, as boring, people might say, and some people say, oh, when you're going to do bigger deals, I'm like, why? Mm-hmm. Why do I want to take on, you know, this much debt? to not sleep at night, to wait for Brexit or the virus or this or that, to ruin my exit, to build from mud when I can just buy a ready-built house. And then, yeah, so that that's my strategy. And that's, I guess, also my risk profile within it and why I don't do things like developments, yeah. at least not yet anyway. Yeah. Okay. And how, how are you doing this? Because this is a question that everybody's going to probably ask you before. Limited company or your own name? How did you do it? Limited company because I'm buying multiple and because... I think it's a lot smarter when you're buying multiple to pull your money out in tax efficient ways and also to have group structures with flip property with flip companies and it keeps it clean cut as well. Like mm-hmm. I know mortgages and bridges will make you personally liable anyway, but it's just nice to kind of have your own tax affairs and your business tax affairs separate. And then it's just a nice way to wrap things, I think. Mm-hmm. I'm not an accountant though, I'm not qualified to give financial no, no. advice. <laughs> I have to just give that disclaimer before we don't, do ta- we don't do tax advice on this podcast yep, exactly, i just have to good. ask the questions that i know i can hear my audience and that's going to be one of them um so let's talk about persistence for a second because you've just told me that you're offering so much below market value you're getting that 40 percent discount and people are going to be listening and going how on earth is he doing that and I listened to your podcast and in one of your podcasts you said that you put in 115 offers after 140 viewings and only had four of those offers accepted okay so how do you have the time how did you find those deals (laughs) so uh, I'll answer other way around so uh, how do I find the deals so there's a lot of people who say Oh, right move is dead. Zoopla's dead. If any deals are on there, you're too late. I'm I'm off market kind of guy. Shut up. It's absolute rubbish. Okay, I promise you because I have secured every deal I've bought apart from four or five are on the internet. You could have found them. I, my, my mom, your mom could have found them. My mom could have found them. Right? Like anyone can find them. Uh whether it's auctions, right move, on the market, Zoopla, estate agents website, whether it's from just calling and saying, what have you got? You know, everything I've bought has been, apart from like four or five, has been publicly available. So mm-hmm. firstly, that's bullshit. That's how I find them. Mm-hmm. The internet, I sit here on my computer typing away and I find it. How have I secured deals? Is through relationships. It's through knowing the right people who can give me access, you know, knowing agents on a certain level that they kind of want to say, Ted, look, this is how much you need to offer. If you can offer that, they'll accept and we'll get it done. We'll get it done. I'm like, cool. Well, that's the much I'm going to offer then. Mm-hmm. Um, or having relationships with auctioneers or different people who can, you never realize how much of an effect people have on like the transactional, you know, business of buying property. So people, so the internet has got me the deal in terms of found me the deals. Relationships with people have secured the deals. How do I have time? You know, honestly, so when I go up you know, to Wales for viewings, I will, you know, from say what, nine to five, you can do viewings. I do have a fairly large investment area. I think it's like 80 square miles. However, 
I think that's correct. My math's not very good, but like, you know, it's not like the whole area. It's like 80 square miles is a square and there's bits in between it. So it's not, it's not technically that. So I often have kind of longer drives between places. What I do is just call up or I book as early as I can and say, right, how many viewings can we squash into a day? How many viewings in the same towns can we squash and organize? So to be honest, the answer is admin. The answer, the real truth is that not eating, uh, not eating. So for the whole day, so eating breakfast and sometimes not because I wake up late, getting to my investment area that the whole day, not peeing for the whole day. This is real life. Like this is, this is the shit that happens because you're literally just like, well, where's the time in my diary? And none of these houses have working toilets because they're all shitholes. So you're like, okay, that those two are, are, are super important. Like literally just being like, right, viewing, 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 viewing the whole day is how I did this. And yes, I, I could have done, you know, I could have looked after myself better, but then it would have been slower. Yeah. So my answer is sacrifice, admin and sacrifice. Are you doing your own admin? How long did that take you to book? So it doesn't take too long okay. because I know the areas and I know the agents and I know which ones I want to see. And I give it enough time that they can then, that, that I know how to book it in. I, I can't put a time on it. I have considered getting a VA to do it. I've got, a, I'm getting a VA to chase up offers and view, you know, things mm-hmm. like that. But because my diary is a bit last, can be a bit last minute. And I kind of, at the moment, it's easier for me to do it, especially yeah. because I have knowledge of the areas and the times and the track. It's just easier with my local knowledge, but as time goes on and I'm doing less and less physical viewings now. So as time goes on, it will be less me and more, you know someone va Mm -hmm. are you doing less viewings because you know the properties that you're looking at the agents know you and you can just put in an offer before you go and see it yeah Yeah, and i've got friends who will do viewings for free or for like take them for dinner or like 10 15 quid or my builders you know there was a house for sale next door to mine and i was like mate go have a look uh so or my builders just know people in their local areas and they're like, Ted, that house has been empty for 10 years. Do you want the guy's details? Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> of, do. of course I do. <laughs> yeah, what are you waiting for? Like, you're <laughs> Which reminds me, I need, I need to chase him or something. So it's, it, and now I know exactly what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. I see so many alerts, so much stuff, like you said, and I'm just like, this is, just, I just know, like, it sounds defeatist, but you just know, like, no, nah, that's just not, that it's just not going to work. It's just not what I'm looking for. So mm-hmm. you become more efficient within yourself, but it's taken, you know, eight months of doing it full time to be at this stage and I'm I'm nowhere near super super proficient or anything do you use sources I use sources for my first two deals very expensive uh overcharged really for the service I believe they delivered and they both know this I'm very vocal with them and with everyone I think most sources are are not are not good to be honest I think there are some who are okay there's like 0.01% who are fantastic, who are like, whoa. Then the majority, then there's a majority who are like, okay, you're a bit average. And then there's maybe another majority who are just total trash. But this is not aimed at sources. This is like any industry, I think, where, you know, where you have an easy barrier to entry. So personal trainers, you have been to the gym and you see a trainer, and you're just like, you're injuring them. Like, that's not how you do it. Or estate agents or recruitment consultants and i used to be one like when a barrier to entry is low like with sourcing what do these training courses say you know it's straightforward it's simple which it, it can be but it is, it is very difficult 
you get a lot of people who aren't passionate or want to do it properly. They want a few stepping stones to then get them somewhere else. So it's kind of a tricky one. When I say the majority are bad, it doesn't mean they're bad people or bad investors, but they just don't give enough of a shit to be really, really good at it. And that's whose fault is it? I don't know. <laughs> that's my condensed view on sources. <laughs> I don't worry. I've ranted about it far too much for anybody who listened to a podcast about five weeks ago where I went off on one about sources versus uh investment agents for charters of ayers there's a lot to be said I was just asking your opinion on whether you use them or not so it's it's pretty much all you it's all me I the thing is most sources go on right move send you a link all right I'll just find on right move myself which I've done many times or yeah, my friends yeah. have <laughs> So, oh, no, I don't need to, I don't need to use them, especially because I'm so active myself. I've built a network. It's just like, okay, look, if it was a genuinely off market deal, I don't know, straight from the council and it was like a block of flats and it was something, you know, amazing, I would consider, but I also know I could get that myself. So when you, when you source yourself and you source X many deals, you're just like, oh, you know what? I can, I can do this myself if you want to. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's now talk about bridging finance mm, yeah how long do you bridge for what interest rates are you paying and how have you found bridging lenders as a whole so uh, how long do i bridge for 12 months because i don't really find a difference in the terms from six nine or twelve okay i also just i'm just playing safe you know like why why risk going on to a five percent a month default or something which it can be rates uh started off at for 75% LTV above 50k I think it started off at like 0.9 below 50k I think it was like one above 50k now I think it's come down to like 0.75 I think below 50 I think it's about the same mm -hmm. uh, as far as I can tell I also get free legals because my solicitor dual represents I also get desktop valuations because of relationship track record and the fact that this bridger just offers it and I'll, I'll speak about who they are. So for me, there's always a broker who says, oh, guys, I can get you a better rate than that. That's really expensive. And I'm like, no, you can't because I've done the research. I like, I know what I'm doing. You haven't factored in costs and fees and things like that. So for me and my profile and things I'm buying, this is the cheapest I can get. Also the smoothest, like we're talking five day completion. Yeah, no worries. Seven day, whatever. Mm -hmm. uh so yeah those are the rates i get i think the standard entry fee is like 800 quid it's the minimum i can have there's no exit fee interest is either deducted so you, it takes it, it's taken off the gross loan or it's paid monthly there's no rolled up option which is one uh challenge i guess mm -hmm. so i use together finance now mm -hmm. i've been using them well i use them on five five now it's going to be seven or eight deals and i've paid them back on a few and so we've got a great relationship i've been up and i've met them in manchester and yeah look the first time you work with a bridger it's going to be painful they're going to want to know everything about you they're going to want every little detail i think as much as it is also their fault it's your fault because you it's hard to say when you're new to property but come prepared and just say right mr and mrs bridger what do you need from me what forms what stuff do i need to get for you like just tell me everything and i'll package it for you beautifully mm -hmm. you know and speak to other people who've bridged and say where were your challenges where were your mistakes because then you'll know what to pre-provide them with mm -hmm. so it doesn't sting you in the ass um 
I think, you know, what? ever since the first time, which was tricky and also I had a bad broker then who basically ruined it. It's honestly been so smooth. It's, you know, here's an address. They've got all my up-to-date forms, details, literally here's an address. Here's a quote, which is just for jokes anyway, because I know what it's going to be. Uh, you know, you know my solicitor anyway. Yeah. Get on with it. Yeah. And it's, um, I, I've no complaints about it together and they've, they've been fantastic, to be honest. I've, yeah, I, I love bridging. It's it's very, very powerful. Mm-hmm. I have I have a couple of clients using together and it's been so successful with them just flipping onto next deals. Yeah. Uh-huh. I would say they're really good bridges. I've had some awful experiences bridging finance and yeah. <laughs> I'm pleased to say that they're actually doing really well. Um, Definitely. Okay. So then moving on to investors then, how are you finding your investors? Do you find the deal first or the investors first? Okay, it's like chicken and egg, right? Like you can think about it for ages. And you know what? There's logic and there's pros and cons to, to, to both. I am always looking for both. So I guess I'm in the period where there's always a flux. There's always an equilibrium between I've got plenty of deals. I've got some investors. And then sometimes I've got less deals, more investors. Sometimes more deals, less investors. So, okay, what I will say is I found it easier to get investors when I have a deal because they're kind of there's something more tangible and they can say oh okay there's a deal I can see you've put margins in blah 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 I can see what I'll get back with this physical house it just feels a lot more tangible to people I would always recommend you know doing both like just generally having conversations saying you're looking for investment finance if someone said to me Ted here's 400 grand uh, but I need you to take it in a week you know just because of whatever and I was like I haven't got any deals right now or I didn't have or only had 30 grand's worth of deals am I gonna say sorry mate go to someone else I'm gonna say nope we're good let's let's talk let's invest because I know that once that impetus is there and I message the right people when I get I will have deals you know and I guess it's the same with deals when you have more deals it pushes you to then be like shit I need more investors I will also say never stop fundraising I've made the mistake of raising money cool cool got enough four houses came in and i'm like yeah that shifted <laughs> quick time and so always always be fundraising even from day one like mm-hmm. zero properties 100 whatever always be fundraising how do i find them uh social media so my brand my podcast my public speaking people seeing me on things like this uh just i guess being visible is probably the one way to summarize how investors find me mm-hmm. because i don't yeah, it's kind of a bit of both, but normally they sort of find me, engage with my content for one month, six months, whatever, and then we have a meeting of minds and then it kind of goes from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. That's exactly how it works for me as well. Um, all people come to me with deals and that's fabulous. I really enjoy it when people come to me with deals and I can just sit here and analyse them. So it makes life easier. It yeah. does make them a huge amount easier. So how do you, I guess the next thing is trust. How are you trusting that uh, investors are going to lend you the money on time and aren't going to mess you around during the loan period? Good, good question. So I think it's just humanity. I think it's just like assessing them as a human, like your gut feeling really. It's like, are you messing around now and are you pissing me off and are you being irritating and look 
people can be irritating in a very fair way because it's easy once you have a few properties to be like oh why are they asking me these basic questions and be irritated but actually that's your fault for being irritated because they have every right to ask that question it's basic to you but it you know it's not to them so i think i think it's just an assessment of them as a person and and saying that they're assessing me i'm assessing them i think what happens most of the time is i tend to get the money in sort of before a deal so between exchange and completion or, or just from offer to completion i'll get the money in so i'll kind of know is it here and my backup is bridging or using some of my own funds or i think the ones who fund like so some fund me directly some fund the, a deal in particular and go via a solicitor i think the first time it was just a bit of like i've seen proof of funds we never met before and you want to give me like 180 grand a bit of blind faith maybe uh and like yeah i guess goodwill and i paid a commitment fee and st- like a 500 quid just to sort of i think all the factors came together and just happened but i guess it was a, a leap of faith a little bit uh but the best thing to do is get the money before it comes to any sort of uh legalities that's why i say always be fundraising mm-hmm. uh <clears throat> messing me about during the loan term i just make it very clear that look the loan term is this long 12 months usually you know you can't access the money during this time if if i happen to have it back early and you want to discuss happy days not a problem i I paid investors back early just surprised them like hey here's your payment but most i i've never ever had the worst thing i've had is one investor say looking forward to payment in four weeks and i was like it's eight weeks because it's may not April mm-hmm. up like oh that's fine not a problem and i'm basically going to give it to them early anyway but that's the worst i've had and i think it's an easy fear to create in your head mm-hmm. but if you've assessed them right and they're sort of hands off they're not like oh tell me about this has the builder done this <laughs> or like to tap then you know they should be okay but again gut feeling and assessing them as as a human as as you'll do anyway right so yeah, yeah you'll meet some people and be like nah this ain't gonna work but you'll meet loads and be like yeah this is awesome my investors some of them don't give a crap they don't ask me anything i send them an update and they're like oh cool like literally cool that's great so it really depends and you will meet people who just just want their interest paid and if you're paying it then um happy days are you paying interest on a monthly basis or at the end to one of my investors yes uh she loans 110 percent usually loan to value uh and she's like an institutional investor so she's very very serious very much like and she's my biggest investor and funder so i'm happy to pay a monthly however we do roll things over mm-hmm. i know we've started paying at the end of term or after three months so things are a lot more flexible once she knows i've been paying it she's like what? yeah well, you know how can we do this to make it easier for you and your commitment fee what do you that gets refunded okay i don't pay that and i don't pay that anymore because i was like look bruh we like three deals together. Just, just and she was like, <laughs> "You want like, five hundred pounds?" Yeah, she was like, "Yeah, don't worry about it, man. I get re- refunded anyway." So she was just like, "Yeah, look, it's cool. You're not going to waste my time." It's just because some people, I guess, say, "Yeah, semi terms," and they're like, "Nah." So it's a bit of a waste of time for her. So it's a good idea. Yeah. Okay. Um. So. A lot of people, when they first start out, they're also trying to find investors, they're trying to find deals, everything's new. What advice would you give to someone who's just starting out? Amazing. So listen to our podcasts is, is the first uh, plug. 
I think the first thing is get educated. I don't mean go spend 1997 on a course. I don't mean, you know, go get credit card debt to be on a course. What I mean is read books, listen to podcasts, listen to audio books, network, go. I have this thing called a Nando's budget, right? Mm -hmm. So how much does a property course cost? I don't know. 1,500, yeah, for an intro course. How much does one Nando's cost? About £11.10, rough guess. Uh, how many Nando's could you buy, like someone who's 10 steps ahead of you, with that same money, but you'll build a relationship. You'll get an actual friendship potentially with someone, and you'll get an hour or so of uninterrupted time to pick someone's brain. Why don't we do that? Yes, it takes longer. Yes, it's not a weekend. But just imagine with £1,500 worth of Nando's and meals and coffees and whatever, how much you could learn. So there's alternative ways to learn, but it is important because irrespective of what you're taught and the people who, you know, oh, listen to others and avoid the mistakes, you're still going to make mistakes, right? Mm -hmm. So your learning never stops and you have to understand that. So yeah, first thing is get educated. Secondly, which I kind of said there is network. So as well as the one-on-ones, get on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, speak to people digitally, meet up with people, go to networking events, uh, like have your face out there, get to know people and get like people to know you and recognize you because that's so, so important, especially when it comes to investors. Thirdly, don't think or pretend you know everything. Like we're always learning and no matter how many houses you have, you know, I can teach you something, Tasha can teach you something and vice versa. So always like be honest about that as well so mm -hmm. hi i'm new i've got you know zero many properties this is my plan and honestly you go to networking events and it's crazy people will literally tell you their whole plan the streets they invest on exactly like property is just so open and like loving you know generally that you will learn so much so yeah educate network put yourself out there and be honest and mm -hmm. don't be afraid to be vulnerable in front of people that will, and and lastly i just thought this people put people first like it was kind of what i said throughout but i promise you you will get things for free for discounted rates you'll save money you'll make my like just from having strong relationships i cannot emphasize that enough mm -hmm. that's really good tips and advice the honesty thing is something very close to my heart because i hate it when people come to me and they're trying to explain something to me and they're using words that they don't know and I think to myself, I use simple words too because I hate talking <laughs> jargon with people. So don't have to like talk up to me because I really am not interested. I'd rather you tell me what you know about whatever subject. I'm going to come mm. back at you in that same terminology. Yeah, exactly. Otherwise you don't understand because you have no idea what they're saying back to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> so... Now, next question is, how do you know if a deal stacks up and what makes a good investment for you? Good question. People do often ask me this and I, I haven't, I guess I haven't spoken about it technically. Before I speak, this is what works for me, mm -hmm. uh, for everyone listening. So I look for a return on cash employed, a ROAS or return on cash left in a deal after refinance of 50% plus. So for me, that's often about 5K because over the year, the properties will net 300 a month, you know, maybe a bit of maintenance, maybe a bit of voids, whatever. You know, we're looking at a, about 2,500. It's going to be a bit more than that. But let's just say 2,500 a year, profit, cash flow before tax. 
versus me leaving in five grand is a 50% return on cash employed. Why I use this is because, you know, the house could cost a million quid. It could cost a hundred grand. For me, it's irrespective of what I've put in because it's not my money and it's not staying in. What I'm keeping in this account, this bank account that is a property, is the five grand, is the 10 grand, is whatever. So really, it's my return on that because that's the only money I'm having to spend. Everything else has come straight back out. So it makes a lot of sense to do it this way. People say, oh, what's the ROI of your deals? I have no idea because like property price versus rental, but yes, it gives us an indicator, which we all seem to use, which I still don't really see how important it is because even if you're buying it traditionally, you're only putting in 25% potentially if you're you know buying with a mortgage. So I never understand ROI and how it's so important. Any listeners who like really, really get it and love it, um, I'd love you to message me. What do I look for in a deal? Well, pretty much 50% roast. Uh, is it mortgageable? Can it also be sold in case the reval comes in less? Does it have solid comparables? Will it rent you know, quickly to good people or working people? Uh, I like, I mean, most of the rent where I invest is anywhere from 450 to 650. And I know that by doing, putting some swag on it, putting some sauce on it, I will get the higher end of that. Uh, honestly, it, I, <laughs> I'm struggling to kind of put any more meat on it because mm-hmm. it is as simple as a 50% return on cash left in. That's for me is a good deal. That mm-hmm. is mortgageable. Fine. Yeah. Simple. S- simple enough for you to then go, yes, this deal works. No, this deal doesn't. We'll keep moving. Yeah. And it does include all costs like mortgage, council tax, if I'm not exempt, insurance, etc. So 5k left in is like tight. Like you got to not hide anything because it looks better. Like it's tight 5k left mm-hmm. in. So how did you choose the area that you were investing in? I met I met a sourcer, mm-hmm. one of the first, like one I bought the first deal off. He kept posting deals and I kept watching and I thought, where could I invest? You got the North, which is great. So I was looking at say Yorkshire. And then like, if I could invest anywhere, by the way, it would be Liverpool, like right now, because of the capital appreciation, the economy, et cetera. But it was too far. Mm-hmm. So I looked at those two and I was like, eh, yeah, they're good. But like, these car journeys are going to kill me. So then I just looked at what he was posting and I was like, okay, same sort of price as the North, maybe not as much capital appreciation, but I was like, okay, strong chance of pulling all your money back out. So I was like, okay, let's do this. I, I said, right. I went there, viewed the streets, judged everything, looked at data online, looked at house prices, looked at you know what the shithole sell for, what the really nice ones sell for, spoke to agents, spoke to local people when networking, and just, I guess, did like a whole stalk of the areas, and then was like, right, these are the areas I'm investing in. And over time, they've changed, and I've said no to certain areas, I've said yes to certain areas, I've said strong yes to certain areas, and indifferent to certain areas. That, that has specifying has only come after months of like yeah i don't want to invest here or being like no this is really good or getting revaluations back and thinking this is shit hot i need to stay here but yeah you know it's just as simple as like stalking you know an area and just learning everything about it and does it match your goals uh i matched it to my current or then situation which was my own money so i was like well i have a very limited pot here you know, it kind of has to be one of these areas. But that's not necessarily the advice I'd give. The advice I kind of give is, yes, tailor it to your situation. But think, if I had another zero, 
my bank account, where would I buy? Because that's possible with investor finance, right? Or bridging. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And so would you suggest to people, because I harp on about this the whole time, but still get questions about it. One area, right? I would say so, yeah, because you're going to have built team you trust. You're going to know the area. You're going to know the surveyors. You're going after a while, like people say to me, oh, Ted, why don't you come and invest here? And I'm like, why? I, like, it doesn't make sense. Like, hey, if I had an incredible deal in Yorkshire where I have a great network, you know, and it was like, hand, you know, yeah, I'd consider it. But would I be going up there to project manage? No, but I'd consider an investment there, but not the same way I do in my area. I think mm-hmm. it's bloody hard work. Getting good builders as well is like incredibly hard work. So I'm going to stick to everything that's going fairly well as it is. How long does it take you to get from the start of the M4 to the end of the M4 nowadays? If I go, if, <laughs> I don't, I don't do that journey, but I'm almost at the start of it and I'm almost at the end of it. We're talking three, three hours, 20. Every weekend. So I'm not going all the way to the end of it. So I'm doing a lot less than that. Okay. Fine. <laughs> I was going to say that's dedication. If you're doing that every single weekend. Yeah, no, I go up like twice a month, okay. Wednesday, Thursday, usually, but lately I've been going up once a month because I've outsourced a lot. Mm-hmm. Do you have time for some quick fire questions? Of course I do. Hit me. All right. So these are questions from within my Facebook group. First question. How did you choose the priority to focus on and in which order brand marketing property podcast joint ventures? So I, I don't JV. So that's off the table uh if you mean loans or investor finance then yeah that, that's back on the table uh at the start when i was sort of learning podcast marketing branding was big priority because i mean i, I didn't have any properties to sort of do stuff with now it changes every week you know if i have a big conveyancing week or lots of refurbs or i'm on site now when i go when i go to my investment area it's all property yeah i get some time afterwards airbnb to do some work but it's like your property and content branding because i'm you know live on site and stuff but the week after when i'm at home just doing admin then it could be like branding like now when i'm stuck at home it's basically all branding and a bit of text in the builders and stuff so it varies week by week and i think for everyone who's listening it will vary and it will vary depending on your situation the important thing to remember is marketing and branding can bring in money and deals so you're like Mm -hmm. It all links like inexplainably. So there's one is not more important than the other, in my opinion. Okay. Who have been your mentors? Um the good lord. No. Um I think <laughs> no one. I think but everyone. So everyone I've met, everyone who's been on my podcast has helped me in some way, shape, or form. And I may have a few people who I text more regularly or who I speak to more regularly, but that does also evolve and change. So I haven't had like a pure mentor, mm-hmm. but I've had most people I've got close to have some shape in some shape or form mentored me. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Uh, what similarities are there between our property journeys? We've already had a good in-depth conversation about this. And what is your property journey? And what, cause you're obviously not in England. I'm not, no. Um, I started off as a charter surveyor. 
and uh-uh. as I'm an asset manager. That's my trade. And so from there, clients were saying to me, Natasha, you have to buy your own properties. Don't just manage ours. It's not going to provide you with a pension. Go out there and buy properties. And so back in 2011, I started buying properties. And I've not done it on a quicker level because my strategy is to buy more expensive with high with more income coming in because from a life as an asset manager I know managing a huge amount of property is not fun it's not something that I wanted to do long term so I am more interested in high capital growth bigger incomes um, I have a smaller personal property portfolio and then I do developments out of other limited companies and I'm also and I also invest money in other people's investments and I've just started doing a development out in New Jersey out here and mm, um, nice. so that my background is really as a charter surveyor I run a firm of surveyors and so and I'm also an academic so I'm a university lecturer so I kind of have my finger mm. in a lot of different pies and so to be able to do that I keep my property portfolio deliberately small but maximize on the income and capital growth that's my mm. background mm. I think I think we're similar so we both want it to be as passive as possible yeah and I think we do it in in totally opposite ways yes but it still works passively for both of us, which shows people listening that whatever you do, however you do it, you can still have it the way you want it. I think you have more experience naturally because you started nine years ago. Um, and also you were, you were a chartered surveyor. So you have more hands-on experience, which then gives you more understanding, which mm-hmm. I am, I guess, learning now and you know, getting to the position of managing properties where you were like many, many years ago. I think you're doing developments, which is something I'm not doing and I'm not, mm-hmm. pla- I mean, I'll, I'll build a couple of houses probably just just because it's like, it looks incredible and it's something to do. But that's probably as far as it will go. But I think, I think our journeys are, we, we both have our fingers in different pies and yes. loads of different ones, which, which we've, you know, piece. but we again, but they're quite different. I know you have a brand as well and you post a lot online. I've seen your yeah. videos and things on LinkedIn. So we're similar in that sense yeah. but I think what matters is different people different parts of the world different backgrounds but we still have the same kind of goal which is I guess the passivity and freedom of property yes, I think so and I think also what I, probably one of the same things that kind of binds us together as well is that we enjoy networking like I like talking mm-hmm. to you yeah I like finding out about you and what other people are doing and Mm. opening up my network to you and you seem yeah. to like doing the same thing and I think that as part of an inclusive property industry it mm-hmm. is absolutely vital because it shows yeah. that everybody can do so many different things yeah but we are st- we, we're ultimately aiming for the same thing we want assets we want yeah. personal wealth we want to build that for ourselves but we're also out there and we are still working like I don't want to give up working this is at the moment this isn't you know I don't want to get rid of this yeah I enjoy this I think you're the same yeah 100% I love it yeah so we're similar but different we invest in different areas but that's I think that's the same with most people right you come across I I don't come across anybody who's done exactly the same as me because that's the nature of property yeah no I haven't either I think I met a lot of people and yeah everyone's on such a different thing but we all have the same sort of goal in mind which unites us all right Mm -hmm. and that's why I'm very anti like these single mind track strategies really 
am against it because mm. when you actually talk to people who are actually making a success of it, everybody's got their different ways of doing it. You cannot do the cookie yeah. cutter because no two properties are the same, no two people are the same, no two goals are the same. Yeah. yeah so actually, it's really good for, like to to not be the same. I agree. I think I kind of call it like a, it's a bit of an old school thing, but like a property tool kit or like utility belt, like old school Batman. Like you walk into a property and it's like, okay, they're in negative equity. They don't want to sell it instantly. Oh, we do a lease option. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, they need to get out quick. Are we doing a quick, you know, oh, are we doing a rent? Like, I think having tools that you can just say, right, what does this vendor, this age, what does this situation suit? You know, can we do it or can we not? Do we want to do it? Do we not? And working it from there. Mm-hmm. Um, I've just so happened that all of mine are standard purchases and it is what it is. But I know when I walk into a house, I'm like, could this be a lease option? Could this be this? Could this be that? It's like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Most of the time, as it happens, in my case, anyway, it's, it's been pretty straightforward and simple. Mm-hmm. Next question. What's been the influence of Aaron Du on you? And am I saying it yeah, right? Aaron, Aaron Du, yes. Yeah. So Aaron is a personal trainer. He's got his own podcast called Find Your Voice. Um, me and him, we've known each other for, I think he's one of my first property friends. Oh, property friends. And I think we met, oh, I'm going to say like a year ago. Um, and... We spent a bit of time together looking at deals, looking at properties in Birmingham where I was going to invest, but then I realized this area is too hot, way above asking. I just, I can't do it for my strategy. I think the main thing I learned from him was, and I've since done this big time, is probably like quietening of the ego. So it's very easy uh, in life, especially for men, to just have an ego, not an ego that's necessarily visible, but an ego that's like, in the back of your mind and driving you to be rash or be rude or do stupid things or just not think with clarity and be present. And the Stoics, like the you know Greek Roman philosophers talk a lot about it. And I think he kind of, without realizing it, just kind of planted a seed of, you know, removing that and focusing on the nice aspect. And so, yeah, that's probably what I've learned from him the most. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, what is your experience of property is it what you thought it would be or what others told you it would be it's not what other people said it would be uh at i mean course providers and stuff like that a total opposite uh other people on facebook who are like a bit more realistic you know like us we're posting real stuff yes but you know what i've learned no matter no matter how much someone talks and how much you read and listen to us and you will never ever ever understand how difficult and challenging and draining it is until you do it yourself like you can look at me you can look at us and you can be like damn you know boy you look rough you look like you need to sleep but you will just never understand until you've gone through it you've broken down things have gone wrong you've had little in the account and you... until you've been in the situations you just can't understand it and again me saying this to answer that question is is that exactly mm-hmm. no one's gonna understand it till they're in this position but <laughs> Is it rewarding? Yes. Is it financially rewarding? Yes. Not for me yet because I'm growing so quickly. It's kind of a, just one big storm of money in, money out. But I know looking at the portfolio that after eight months, I can retire now, be a Tim Ferriss, travel the world, wear baggy pants and just like be a hipster. But I don't want to, but I could in eight months. So if that doesn't maybe show people that, hey, it is rewarding. Mm-hmm. You can you know, and a lot of people in eight months doing what I do could just live here and honestly retire. Depends how much income you need. 
Mm. I hope that shows people it is challenging, but, you know, it can really buy you freedom, you know? Mm-hmm. It's true. Location freedom, especially. It's definitely the motivator for me. Uh, next question. Do you think a JV opportunity could arise between the both of us? You can you can fund my deals if you want. You <laughs> there we go. Thank yeah, you. We'll, go. we'll send an intro feed to the person who asked that question. Yeah. Um, have you met my mum yet? Will you come back on the podcast with with me and my mum and bring your mum so both of our mums can share their experiences? Um, I would. Uh, my mum would be too excited and too happy. <laughs> So I, I don't know if I can let her have that. So we'll, we'll, maybe when we'll see. when all of this clears up and I'm back in the studio, we'll we'll see if we can yeah. work something out. Yeah. Um, what's been the most rewarding experience since leaving your job and telling your mum? And what does your mum think of your progress and success now? So she follows it on Instagram. She doesn't like or comment. She just she just watches. And then yeah. at dinner table, will be like, "Oh, so you bought another house, did you?" And I'm like well yes that post was like three months old but yes I've bought another couple since then mum um so I think like <clears throat> she's supportive from what she understands I think she understands a lot from like my girlfriend who will explain stuff to her a bit more uh like well since I got fired from my job but that was like four years ago I felt very liberated which is unusual right because I was mm-hmm. 23 it was like my first job it took me like 14 interviews to get it I should be feeling like, oh, crap, I've ruined my life, you know. But I was so liberated. So that moment definitely set me off on, you know, my recruitment business and now my property business and just the entrepreneurial stuff. So it was a blessing in disguise. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I have full support from, like, family, friends, and there's no, like, which you do get you know, sometimes, like, negativity. Oh, you're like, oh, you know, my grandmother's like, oh, my God, you're buying so many houses. You know what happened to, like, Sainsbury's? They bought all these houses and they crashed. I'm like... A little, I, I don't know where you got that story from, but so there's, you know, it's just explaining things. Then she's like, oh, okay, fine, 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 fine. So yeah, it's, it's all love. It's all good. Good. Final question. Do you see the property investment industry changing over the next few years? If so, what do you think will happen? Ooh. I know we've not got crystal balls. I say this all the time. Yes. <clears throat> we are just speculating. Good question. I mean, I have no idea if the economy is going up or down or sideways or whatever, especially in the current situation we're in. Will the market change? I mean, yeah, inevitably. I think it will change superficially in terms of styles, interior design, what people are looking for. I think as time goes on, the standards will get higher and higher and higher, potentially meaning that refurbs get more expensive, meaning that we have to buy even cheaper. But then, I don't know really is what I'm saying. I think like, there's so many things we could like postulate could happen but i think naturally quality of even just basic buy to lets you know four walls and a floor and a roof you hope is going to get better and better mm-hmm. and the competition is going to get stiffer because people like me are, are coming into this industry now and like whoa what's magnolia what's that about uh-uh and we're shifting it and then people eight months you know behind me are coming in even fresher mm-hmm. so i think it's gonna get harder but as long as you put some swag on it and that applies to life, I think you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. And on that really positive note, we're going to wrap up. Ted, thank you.
I really Thank appreciate you. it. Thank you for coming oh. on. Thank you, everybody, for listening. If you have enjoyed this podcast, I have put Tej's bio and all of its social media links. If you haven't listened to his podcast yet, I don't know why not. Go and listen to Tej Talks. Um, so all of that's going to be in the show notes below. Don't forget to rate and review this podcast because it means that more people get access to it and more people can find it because I think they definitely need it if they're in the property investment industry right now. We need to support each other as best we possibly can. Thank you so much for listening to us today. I cannot wait to catch up with you again soon. Bye.